Hello and welcome to Kids of Stuff, a Chucky podcast, a Haunted MTL original podcast. I am your host, David Davis, and this is season two of my dive into the Chucky franchise. I should amend the I, though, because I have a permanent co-pilot. She was a guest in the first season of the podcast and is my life partner in crime. I am joined permanently by Holly Han, my significant other. Hello, Holly. Hello, David. All right, so you decide you're going to jump on board permanently. Why? Well, I I guess I comment too much when you're watching the movies, and I <laughs> yell at the TV a lot, so um, I'm... <laughs> I'm here to express that to the entire internet. Oh, yes. We're, we're going to talk about what made you angry in the uh, movie specifically. But also, um, as far as horror goes, like, I am like an old hand in this sort of thing because I grew up watching scary stuff. You, not so much. No. Um, I grew up in a religious household, and we weren't allowed to watch stuff that was super scary, super bloody, uh, so my dive into horror really started with the old school Frankensteins. Um, I, I love Christopher Lee and I love Mel Brooks's, um, take on it all. And it just, it was so charming and that's kind of where I started to love it. And over the almost nine years we've been together, we've discovered a lot of horror together and you've introduced me to a lot as well. Yeah, I, I think a lot of our, our free time is spent just watching movies together, especially like horror stuff, because I'm obsessed and it feels like you're kind of getting there too a little bit. Yeah, but I've always, I was always kind of a goth kid, um, along with a band nerd. So, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, uh, I've, I've always been that geek. So well, it's just, it's nice to have a place where you can explore that. Well, and the, the fun thing is, like, I'll ask, like, have you ever seen Blank? And you're like, no. And I'm like, you haven't seen Blank? Yeah, like the entire um, original Star Trek series. <laughs> he lost his shit. Yeah, I was very disturbed that you'd never seen the original series. Um, plenty of the next generation in Deep Space Nine and Voyager and stuff. But anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. So um, th this move of having you on as a permanent co-host is part of a larger thing that we're planning we're not going to really get into it in this episode, but uh, I think a little bit more towards the end of the second season of the TV show. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to kind of explore this stuff with someone who isn't uh, as familiar with the franchise and that sort of thing. Like, you've seen them all at this point. You know, I've, yeah. I've forced you to watch them and then you got really into the TV show. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like you've maybe uh, become a fan, but we'll, we'll talk about that oh, yeah. as we go through. Well, I mean, there there was that story that I, I told on my episode where I wanted to have a hearse when I was in high school. And mm -hmm. my security system, instead of like an actual alarm system, was going to be a Chucky and Tiffany doll in the backseat. <laughs> I kind of figured nobody would fuck with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's going to, uh, you know, now you can actually like do that and not be labeled a poser. Wow. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So let, let's go ahead and continue. So um, again, you're going to be my co-pilot for the the whole season of the TV show and the future movies that we're going to cover and other stuff. Do I have um, a license? Uh, no license required. We're unregulated. Okay. Um, I am going to try to attempt to get some extra guests in here. Um, but then again, like the production, uh, the production schedule of that like season and that first season of this podcast was just... That was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Like, it was, uh, you know, every week you had to get something out. We um, needed, like, to hire an assistant to, like, try and to schedule all of it. Can't afford that. So, um, mm -hmm. and the, the other thing is also, like, just scheduling guests. Totally. 
so it's nice to have someone to talk to that isn't just me talking to myself over and over again. I think you offer a really interesting perspective on this. Too. Oh, thanks. It's also going to be really nice to not hear you just talk to yourself all the time now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that enough with my radio show. <laughs> anyway, um, in the meantime, we're going to cover some of the movies until the show starts and hopefully finish covering the entire franchise by the time this season is over. That way, season three is just like different miscellaneous topics and... Um, you know, uh, if there is a third season of Chucky, which I'm pretty sure there's going to be like I've, I've got my fingers crossed, but I'm pretty positive um, to that end. Today, we are talking about Child's Play 3. So um, before we get into impressions and discussion about the movie, I just want to get some of the details out about today's film, you know, get them out of the way. Um, specifically, uh, this is widely considered one of the worst movies in the franchise. That's fair. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about like the problems with the movie, but that being said, um, the movie was released in August of 1991. And at the time it was the resolution of what we're calling like the Andy Barclay, uh, star, uh, storyline. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because Andy kind of drops out of the franchise for a number of years after this one. You know, he's been traumatized enough. We really need to give him a break. <laughs> right. You know, Andy has no luck. So how old were you in 1991, David? Uh, let's see, I was born in 1987. You're asking me to do math. Um, eight, 89, 90, 91. I was four years old. Oh, okay. Four. Yes, I was four years old. I was two. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would not have been allowed to watch these things at our ages, but I did anyway. That explains a lot, not mm -hmm. going to lie. Yeah, my parents let me watch Child's Play whenever I wanted. Um, so... <laughs> The, the film was written by series spearhead Don Mancini. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast before. Oh, yeah. He's, he's fun. Yeah, he's written the entirety of the series. He's a great guy. I, I really appreciate his insights into movies, especially because, like, he is a movie fanatic. It's when when I think of directors who get to get to do this with their franchise, it's really just like him and John Carpenter that kind of like come to mind. Yeah, yeah. Like Don Mancini has been attached with it the whole time, even in the 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 darkest moments where like he didn't really get that much power and influence over it. So so yeah. in the case of this movie, he didn't direct it. He was just the the writer. Mm -hmm. Um but you know, I, I also want to talk about someone else who we've not spoken a lot of yet, who's been around since the first movie, and that was David Kirshner, who uh has produced every of the uh, installment of the series up until this point. Um, and I think he's still producer on the TV show and everything as well. The name sounds super familiar. Um, I wish I had looked it up before, but right. I, I think it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just going to give a little bit of background on David Kirshner because, you know, we're at the third movie in the franchise and we haven't really talked about him too much. So um, he got a start in the film industry after graduating from the USC School of Cinematic Arts. So definitely a movie guy. Yeah. Um. So he, he began his career as a designer and illustrator of album covers for Neil Diamond, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, wow. And, and he would also do illustrations for the Muppets and Sesame, Sesame Street for different projects. Oh, Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. So, okay, the, this, this is pretty wild, but in 1986, he would produce and create an American tale. No way. Yes, the Little Mouse movie. That movie the, traumatized me. Oh. Yes, the little w w the uh, five old Mouskovitz. So he would he would have been a Jewish mouse, right? Why Why is it got to be? No, no. I'm just trying to I'm trying to understand the diaspora. Yeah. Was he like Russian Jew or? I you know I really don't 
remember a ton of the details because it's been so long. I just remember absolutely bawling and being mm. like a, a very small child watching that movie. Well, you know the only thing that I remember about that movie? Huh? There are no cats in America. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he he's the guy responsible for an American tale. Okay. All right, which is kind of weird to think about, but that's so, not the only child-related thing that we're going to find out that's related to this. He's had a couple footprints in, in child trauma traumatization. Right. So he's worked with the Muppets. He's worked with Sesame Street. So he's worked with the Jim Henson Studios. He's done American Tale. He would later go on to be chairman of Hanna-Barbera Productions and produce the Curious George movies. Aww. Um, the, the animated ones that came out recently. I think with um, that, that funny guy on <laughs> Saturday Night Live, Will Ferrell. That's right. Will Ferrell. He was <laughs> the man in the yellow hat, right? Yes. Okay. I like okay. how you whittled that down. Yes, yes. The You know, the funny guy on SNL. That one guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Kirshner is the producer of the Chucky franchise, working right alongside with Don Mancini. Mm -hmm. Kirshner was also one of the first people to develop the look of Chucky through pencil sketches based on Mancini's notes. That helped sell the original movie to United Artists, who were the distributor of the original film. You know, that's... I can only imagine, while he was at Jim Henson Studios if he came up with some kind of macabre puppet who would, like, kill the other puppets or some shit. And, you know, <laughs> it's a little too dark for Sesame Street Studios. But this Mancini kid has an interesting idea. So, um, no, but I just I just find all those parallels and those, those associations with, like, stuff that brought me joy in childhood, which... Yeah, it's all, all connected. Yeah, and then Chucky also brought me joy in childhood, so there you go. You fucking weirdo. <laughs> So, um, Kirchner would eventually bring in the 26-year-old artist Kevin Yeager to put together a team to make the doll for the first film. Now, I'm going to do a separate episode eventually on how they brought the doll to the screen, um, but um, I, I want to mention this because while Kirchner is a major presence in the fa uh, major presence in the franchise, I think we should spotlight. I do want to talk about Kevin Yeager later, the, the special effects technician behind. Oh, Chucky. hell yeah! Uh, especially because he is married to uh, Andy's mom. Oh shit! Yes, from Seventh Heaven. Yes, yes, uh, Catherine Hicks. Catherine Hicks. Yep. yep. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how there's like this little family developing here. Wait, wait, wait! Catherine Hicks was also in Star Trek. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. The, the one whale. with the whales. The one with the whales. <laughs> the, the one. They don't call it Star Trek for the Voyage Home. They call it the one with the whales. <laughs> so, um, you know, I would I would argue that like David Kirshner has just as much to contribute to the franchise as Mancini in a lot of ways. Uh, like he he seems to be like the one who kind of had the uh the the wherewithal to kind of get the thing going because Mancini at this point was relatively untested. Um. You know, and he recognized the potential of the killer doll concept. Okay, now, so let's talk about the director. The director of Child's Play 3 is Jack Bender, who is a journeyman director who has been attached to major projects, specifically television. Now, when I say journeyman director, do you have an idea of what I'm talking about? Um, he's he's done a lot. He's very seasoned. Yeah, it's just one of those, like, reliable guys that, yeah. like, any show or project can bring in, and, like, he'll get it done on time and probably under budget. Yeah. Um, that's an important role in the film industry. So, some of his credits include The Midnight Hour, Northern Exposure, Beverly Hills 90210, The Sopranos, Alias, Boston Public, Lost, Under the Dome, The Last Ship, and Game of Thrones. I love Boston Public. <laughs> yeah, that is a fun one. And of course, like Game of Thrones, man, that's like the, the big TV project. 
uh, especially in the past, what, 10 years? Yeah. So, interestingly, he started his career as an actor with roles on All in the Family, The Bob Newhart Show, and The Mary Tyler Moore Show. So he has been around for a long time. Um, if you heard that, that was the cat being taken off the desk. She was not happy about that. No, she wants to be right here as the third yeah. co-host. Oh, she's giving me cuddles, but okay, let's continue with this. So, I mention all of this because it's a credit to him and his work, because he is a reliable director, and that is why he has his hand in so many big TV series. And we see a lot of the solid directorial work in Child's Play 3. All right. So, let's get to the uh, 12-ton elephant in the room. That being said, the film is widely regarded as the worst in the franchise, but I would argue it's not necessarily badly directed. No, it, I mean, it comes off like a really long Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. You know, and that that's a really good assessment. It does feel like a little bit like a TV movie. Yeah. Um, I, I'd argue that the most, signif- uh, the, the most significant issues with it... Um, is that the the general setup at the military school is not really like weird enough for a Chucky film? No, it's there's it doesn't have that like essence of strangeness. It's more of it feels like there wasn't a ton to work with. Like it's very limiting. Right, and I think part of that is because they're like, well, if we shoot this thing in one place, that's going to save us money. Oh, so totally. how are we going to? How are we going to trap this this kid? Yeah. Are we going to trap Andy in one location? Well, we'll send him to military school. Doesn't necessarily make sense for the character. I don't know. We can talk about that. But um, He's like a rat in a cage. Yeah, like that's the kind of angle. And then, of course, the bullying and everything like that. It, it becomes a very traumatic thing for Andy. Yeah, that the whole Andy's storyline, like what happens to him seriously pisses me off. Okay. Um, well, we're going to talk about the uh, your reactions to all that as oh, yeah. well. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the, and the thing is, like, I was as I was watching the movie earlier today, like, the pacing isn't terrible. It's not. Um, I don't really see any, like, questionable or poor shots. I mean, they're like TV cinematography, but it's not terrible stuff. And I think a lot of the problems with the film kind of comes down to the writing. Um, Sorry, Don. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Yeah. And then uh, then again, also part of that is because like it was a rush job because it came it came out like far too early after uh, Child's Play 2. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and specifically, um, we'll, we'll get into how quickly they turn this movie around. So so one weird fact that like caught me off guard, but it was fun to think about was um, Don Mancini actually approached Peter Jackson. Uh, of Lord of the Rings to make the movie. Is it because he did the, um, oh God, I can't think of it. Dead Alive? Yes. No, because Dead Alive came out uh, after. Oh shit. Yeah, so Peter Jackson turned down Child's Play 2 to do Dead Alive. Oh. But um, yeah, I just, I would like to think about like, well, what would the Peter Jackson version of Child's Play 3 be like? It'd be a lot bloodier. You know, but very, very possible. Um, you know, I just, it, it's one of those weird thought experiments. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about the actors in the movie. So, the only returning actors in this film are Brad Dorff as Chucky. You don't see him at all, uh, like Brad Dorff himself. Um, you only hear him. Yeah. You know, so that was an easy paycheck for him. Um, and then you had Peter Haskell as Mr. Sullivan of the Play Pals Company, who returns from um, Child's Play 2. Yes. Yeah, and they take him out pretty quickly. Yes. Um, yeah. So... The film brings back Andy's character, significantly older, 
this time played by Justin Whalen. Now, you knew Whalen from what? Jimmy Olsen from The Adventures of Lois and Clark. Yep, so, uh, yeah, known for Jimmy Olsen and Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. However, okay. we might also know him from John Waters' Serial Mom. Yeah. And the very mediocre Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, there was a very, very bad Dungeons and Dragons movie that came out, like, late 90s, I think, or maybe early 2000s. Um, so yeah, so that, that was Justin Whalen playing Andy. Um, the, the role, funnily enough, almost went to Jonathan Brandis. Now, do you have an idea who Jonathan Brandis is? The name sounds familiar, but I can't picture him. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to set the scene for you here. Okay. Turn around. Look at what you see. I'm coming up with nothing. Oh my gosh, it's the never-ending story, part oh, two. Oh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch that either. Wow. wow. Yeah. Sheltered. I was, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously, uh, the first never-ending story, fantastic. Second one, not so much. Not the same actor in both, but... Um, Isn't that the one with uh, Macaulay Culkin? No. That would probably be the page master. <laughs> 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 Welcome to Holly Doesn't Know Movies. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so yeah, Jonathan Brandis played Bastion in the second never-ending story. Uh, ultimately, though, Waylon got the role. Okay. Um, that being said, like, I don't think Waylon is an. Uh, I don't think Waylon's bad in this, but like, I don't think he feels traumatized enough for Andy. Yeah, it it feels very like. I mean, he's he's a younger kid. Um, it it feels like maybe he wasn't given enough direction, um, and maybe within characterization building like he wasn't i don't know it, it it was lacking but also like i feel like if he was given the proper tools and resources he could have pulled it off yeah i'm not really even getting that like sense of urgency from him either like there is that yeah. moment where he kind of like sees the doll being carried by the colonel and then kind of like drops his rifle and like has that moment and that's about the extent of the, the trauma, really, Yeah, I think. Because um, there's at one point where he's out doing the the drills, and he's like, I hope Tyler can take care of himself. And that's like, that doesn't sound like Andy. No. I mean, the way that Andy cares for people and wants to make sure that, like, the things that happen to him don't happen to other people, mm -hmm. you definitely get that within the characterization. But you're right. There's... He hasn't been fucked up enough. <laughs> Yeah, like like with Alex Vincent, you know, again, I think like uh, as a kid, absolutely incredible, you know, um, like the like as an adult, maybe not as uh, raw, but with with when he was a kid, it was like, oh, God, oh, yeah, you, you could tell this kid has been damaged. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like Waylon, not bad, doesn't feel traumatized enough. OK, that scream in the background was the neighbors. <laughs> so. Don't worry about it. You didn't hear a crime. We didn't get a soundboard quite yet. <laughs> so um, rounding out the cast of the uh, kids in this one, let's talk about them. So first of all, we have Jeremy Silvers as Ronald Tyler, who I would argue is the uh, secondary protagonist of this movie. Yeah, he's the B-plot. Yeah, so Ronald, Ronald Tyler is this cute little kid who uh, is also at the military academy, and Chucky gets that bright idea of like, well... I can just take over this kid. Yeah. Or in one of the really questionable lines that got cut from the movie, Chucky's going to be a bro. 
It didn't get cut. It was in the movie. Well, it was cut in a lot of showings, but these are like the un. Oh, okay. So I, I recently uh, purchased like a set of the films just to like because um, I um, originally had them like streaming in old VHS copies, but now I have like all the Blu-rays and everything. So well, I'm glad they cut that out just because like it did not age well. Yeah, it, it's one of uh, probably one of the cringier lines in the franchise. Yeah. Now until um, it was written by a white guy. <laughs> sorry, Don. Um, so you know, um, as far as uh, Jeremy Silver's go uh, goes, like he he's good. Like I like Tyler quite he a is. bit. He's very um, he's very hopeful. He has this innocence about him. Um, I he love keeps how telling he, Chucky not to swear. Not to, yeah, right. And he keeps calling him Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's very endearing. Um, I love that you know his dad's a a pilot off somewhere, and that the higher ups of this military academy are essentially like his guardians, keeping a watch over him. They're not as tough on him as all the other people are. Yeah, and I I really like the the character of Ronald Tyler, and I'd hope to see them again, and we'll talk about that, but. Um, Unfortunately for Jeremy Silvers, I don't think he's going to be back in the franchise. Probably not, um, which which sucks. Um, I mean, you know, we hope the best for him. And, yeah. But, yeah, the legal system kind of has a hold of him at the moment. Yeah. Or at I, least I, in 2018 they did. Yeah, I, I'm not going to give away too many details, but he was in some legal trouble in 2018. I don't want to get into it, but you could look it up if you're curious. Uh, it's just uh, unfortunate, and it, it's it's sad to see, but like... But maybe with the series bringing back so many of the originals, the original actors, maybe maybe there's a redemption arc there. Yeah, or you can always just recast the character. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, all right, so next on the list is Dean Jacobson as Harold Whitehurst. He um, looks like the friend from a... Oh, God. Fam- no, not Family Ties. Um, I-, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the Wonder Years. The Wonder Years, yes. Yes, he looks like the kid from The Wonder Years. He also looks like if you like starved a teenage Harold Ramis <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, Dean Jacobson plays Harold Whitehurst, who's kind of this like cowardly, cringing kind of recruit who befriends Andy. Um, he not- tries to tell him like the rules. Yeah, like just. I, I just don't have a lot to say on the character because he didn't no. really appeal to me or anything like that. He was the character who was like, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Yeah. Um, now, interesting you mentioned abandon because it, it seems like uh, Dean Jacobson abandoned the film industry. Ooh. Yeah, I, like he just kind of vanishes after 2009. I have no idea what he's up to. Like I, I tried looking him up. I, like, I look up all the actors to see what they're up to. But yeah, like, um, you know, 2009 disappears. Oh, wow. So. Well, I mean, more power to him if he's having a private life. Yeah, you know, and that that's not a judgment on him or anything like that. But yeah, like sometimes these actors just disappear. They make a yeah. few movies and then bam, gone. All right. Next, we have Travis Fine as Kent, uh, Cadet Lieutenant Colonel Brett C. Shelton. That's a fucking hell of a name. Yeah, that's, that's a hell of a uh, list on the call sheet there. Um, so these days, Travis Fine, um, he is a writer and director but I do want to mention that he did play Kyle Menendez in a TV movie about the Menendez brothers. Which is so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie was 1994's Menendez, A Killing in Beverly Hills. Um, and yeah, what he does is he uh, tends to write and direct. So he currently has a film that he's written and he's directing uh, in, uh, in production right now called Aaron. But I can't find much information about it. Oh, well... All the best luck to him. Yeah. Um, I hope we see it soon. He he makes for a good bully. 
He really does. <laughs> um, he's got that like whole psychopath. Um, I I knew a lot of kids like him in high school because our our school had an ROTC program. He he's a power tripping narcissist. Yeah. Um. He he loves the authority and everything like that. So. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I thought Travis Fine was pretty good. But let's talk was about. He, was he fine? He was Travis okay. <laughs> um. So let's talk about the best character in the movie. Played by Perry Reeves, and we're going to be talking about Kristen De Silva. De Silva. So I saved De Silva last uh, for last here because she is my absolute favorite character in the movie, and that is saying something because I love the character of Andy in general. Maybe not so much in this, but Andy is like my favorite character in the franchise. Yeah. Well, but, I, I mean, isn't Chucky your favorite character in the franchise? I mean, Chucky's everybody's favorite character, but um, <laughs> you, you you can't like you have to pick someone who's not Chucky as well. No, yeah, De Silva. Um, she stands out not only because you know she's the only um, lady in the main cast. It's not just background, but like she's just fun. Yeah, no, she's cool. She's like uh, she she reminds me quite a bit of Kyle from yeah. uh, Child's Play too. Yeah. Um, you know, like kind of uh, resistant to authority that sort of thing, which is cool. Now, um. As far as uh, Perry Reeves goes, she's still out there filming stuff. Um, she's most recognizable for her work in Entourage and the movie Old School. So um, I I checked. I don't see her in the cast of Ch uh, uh, Chucky season two, but like I'm hoping that like they're gonna tease that out. Yeah, I I hope they have like some deal with IMDb that they're not gonna release names until like closer to the show premieres yeah because i think that would be really cool but um you know we'll, we'll see how that goes now let's talk about the adults of the movie um because oh boy you had some issues with some of them oh yeah um well, <laughs> just like the critically failing adults in this right. whole movie <laughs> well and that that's the part of the fun of the franchise is that like adults don't know what the hell they're doing with they these kids really don't so the adults of this film feature a lot of character actors, such as Dakin Matthews and as Colonel Cochran, and Andrew Robinson as Sergeant Botnick. Now, Robinson in particular would be recognizable to horror fans as Larry in the original Hellraiser. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so he played uh, the, the father and everything like that. He's also familiar to Star Trek fans because he was... Uh, Garak, a Cardassian, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're bringing it back around to Star Trek. Hell yeah. So, Robinson's been working in the industry since about, uh, like, the early 1970s, but he has kind of slowed down in recent years, um, which which is fine, but, you know, he's still, I guess he's still voicing, like, uh, Garak in the Star Trek online video game. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool to see. I was gonna say, he looked like 40 in 1980, so I can only imagine. <laughs> right, yeah, Botnik has a look to him. Now, um, Matthews, though, uh, this is uh, da uh, Dakin Matthews, seems to be killing it. Um, he was recently on a show that you and I watched called The Gilded Age. Ooh, who was he in The Gilded Age? He was one of the rich assholes. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, because there's a whole bunch of rich assholes in that show. Was he Was he Carnegie? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I couldn't find his character. He's got that listed, look. But he looks, yeah, like he could have been playing Andrew Carnegie. Um now, I've also seen him in the True Grit remake what? as well. That one was good. Mm -hmm. uh, so he has over 160 acting credits on the Internet Movie Database. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so he's one of those like character actors who just like nails it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the cast of the film. And like as a whole, like I don't see any of the performances being like a problem. No. Like the acting isn't bad at all. It's like maybe the... It's what they were working with. Yeah. 
So sorry, Don. <laughs> so um, Child's Play three came out in 1991. Was technically set in the future when it came out because it was set eight years after Child's Play two, which was set in 1990. Okay. So uh, 1990, uh, the events of Child's Play two play out with Andy and Kyle mm-hmm. taking out Chucky. Eight years later, Andy is now 16 years old. So 1998, that's when Bride of Chucky came out. Yep. So, so this, this is it supposed to run consecutive to it? Mm-hmm. Oh, so this shit. puts the movie in 1998 in the timeline. So the events of this movie take place a month before Bride of Chucky. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things I love about this franchise is like, if it's been in the franchise, it's been in the franchise. I'm not going to retcon it or anything like that. So, So how do you feel about this whole thing about like, the third movie going into the future and then picking it up. Oh, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's primarily Andy's story in the sense of like, you know, what's, we don't, you know, see all of his trauma that happened in the foster home, um, or the multiple homes he's been in. But, um, I like it as a concept because it, it gives room for more, if they wanted to before Bride of Chucky, they could have done more like the misadventures of Charles Lee Ray running around in the Chucky body um, before, you know, he found out where Andy was at the military school. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah, it's also one of those weird things like, so I guess the factory was shut down for for like seven or eight years and then like they like remelt the wax or something like, or they, they remelt the plastic and he had that really gruesome scene with the, the claw, like digging into the melted Chucky. And then like, there's blood everywhere. And it looked like a, a, a lifesavers cream, creamsicle thingy, (laughs) just the way like it twisted around. And then it went into like this weird James Bond style. I I was thinking like reverse Halloween. Oh, yeah. Cause Halloween, the pumpkin rots, but in this one, like the rotting, uh, melting chucky like reforms into something and then yeah. it ends with that really fun little scream of his um but yeah no I, I i really do love that this film is just like nope we're gonna keep this timeline going everything that's happened does happen there's no real adjustments or anything like that which which is fun i really appreciate that yeah so holly yes what do you know about the video nasties <laughs> a lot don't look at my internet search history <laughs> no um, but seriously <laughs> um uh i have a vague idea but go ahead and uh, elaborate on that one okay so child's play 3 was thought to be classified as a video nasty oh right yeah is that thing okay so the movie was caught up in a kind of generalized moral panic where people would create connections between movies and real life crimes uh the video nasties were a thing in the uk okay yeah so while child's play 3 was not actually banned in the UK, a lot of the retailers took the video off the shelves based on based on what I've read. Like, I'm not yeah. someone who grew up in the UK, so I wouldn't know. Um, in this uh, in this case, it was suggested that the film inspired the real life murders of British children James Bulger and Suzanne Capper, but the authorities and most reasonable people have discounted that theory. Yeah, uh, it sounds like they used it for a political agenda. Yeah. So I feel like covering the true crime angle would be an interesting story eventually, but like not necessarily right now. But if you're interested in those cases, they are they are very uh, very upsetting. Um, yeah. So just watch yourself if you're if you're googling them or anything like that. But uh, it's an interesting story. But it's that weird intersection between like culture 
and pop art and how you know, how, there's like, that tension. Yeah. Well, like, the older generation seems to overreact to things that the young kids are doing. Yeah. So, well, like, right now I'm reacting to the fact that people are cooking their chicken in NyQuil. Yeah. Dave <laughs> um, has a weird thing with TikTok. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have TikTok, but... No, it's... Um, he reminds me of an old man. Mm-hmm. He's like, what are these children doing on, on the application? Well, one of the things they're doing is cooking their chicken in NyQuil. <laughs> this is how we become old people. Yeah, this is how the species ends. Okay, so, um, you know, the, the video nasty craze is fascinating and part of, like, an ascending moral majority at the U- in the U.S. and the U.K. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it had an interesting history and it kind of led to an actual horror boom. Um, you know, because you try to stop people people from watching the gore, they'll find it anyway, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, I kind of experienced this in my own home because my dad would not let me, like, as soon as I found out, like, what Dungeon, Dungeons & Dragons was, I thought it was so cool, like, because we like Lord of the Rings in the house, so we were big nerds. Um, but when I brought it up to him, it was, like, a huge taboo, mm-hmm. I guess, because... Um, Back in the day, you know, it was it was linked to supposedly Satanism, which we all know is bullshit now. Yep. But they tried to use it to, uh, you know, keep the children safe. Yeah. So it's not to me like your dad bought the whole satanic panic. Oh, thing both. Going on. Oh, yeah. That was did, a did, huge did, thing in our church. Oh, OK. So they they talked about like Michelle like, remembers and culture, like the whole it was a whole culture war thing. Yeah. Within, that the church embraced for sure. You know, and that that's kind of also connected to like what's going on with the video nasties and the emergence of VHS tapes and like you know that again that idea of the moral majority of the 1980s and early 90s and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and uh, it it doesn't set those kids up for success. Let me tell you what. <laughs> it, it's a fascinating topic, though. It's definitely worth looking into. Now, Don Mancini was not generally thrilled with the movie. Uh, he says it's his least favorite. We can probably attribute a lot of that to the time crunch because this movie was released nine months after Child's Play 2. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Were they getting pressure from the studio? Yes. Okay. The the, the studio saw Child's Play 2 as a huge hit. They wanted a movie right away. Oh, so, totally, yeah. Yeah, like um, literally nine months and then bam, here's Child's Play 3. Yeah. Which I think is the biggest problem because like... The, the setup itself isn't bad. It's just um, they Maybe, didn't go through all the iterations to polish it, I think. Yeah. And I mean, that, that also kind of makes sense with the with the time jump with the kid, because they've done two movies with a younger actor exposed to all of this stuff within a reg- relatively short amount of time. I can only imagine, like, maybe the parents were bargaining for... Um, you know, higher pay. There's also child labor laws, especially with like really young kids like that. You can't work them too hard. It probably was just overall a better call to like make Andy older. Right. Yeah. And I I could definitely see that as being part of the thing, uh, part of the process of like, okay, well, we're going to recast. Obviously, like just having like this little kid deal with the same sort of setup and situation again for a third movie just begins to kind of get a little ridiculous. Beating a dead horse. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's some of the criticisms of this film is that like, they, they, they say it's just kind of like, you know, there's nothing to it. It's like a stock sort of, it's a filler. Yeah. It's to move. It's, it's a filler to move the story along to the next chapter. 
Yeah. So, you know, Don Man City, not really a fan. We haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, references to it later on in the franchise. Like Andy does mention going to military school and everything like that. Um, he definitely becomes a better shot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like the, the time crunch is definitely a significant factor. Now, the series kind of died with this one until seven years later with Bride of Chucky. And the thing is that, like, even director Jack Bender in 2017 said this movie is, quote, kind of silly. <laughs> I, that's fair. I mean, I'm glad that they're being real about it. Like, like the, the franchise as a whole is silly, but, like, what is it about this one that makes it sillier than everything else? I think it's the whole military school aspect of it all. Um, just the the absurdity of the bully character. Mm. Um, the the whole premise of Chucky mailing himself to Andy, like, <laughs> which he tries several times in the franchise. He does. I mean, I I get that. It's it's a trope <laughs> at this point, but it's just it doesn't. It doesn't feel as high stakes, even though there's the battle scene at the end. Yeah. Um, it just, it doesn't feel like it moves the plot of the series as a whole along, mm. which I get because it's the third movie and they were rushed to do it. It was mainly like a studio mm. deal and I don't know. It just. Well, and the, and the, the thing is like the, the plot feels a little unfocused because we're, we're dividing our time between Tyler and Andy yeah and like you know it just ugh. it does the stakes don't feel high enough when it comes to charles actually soul transferring into tyler like mm. it's he's trying to do it but the stakes don't feel very high yeah like again i think like there's the the a good movie in there like i enjoy it every time i watch it like i have no issues watching this movie whatsoever um even as like the worst of the franchise Technically, like, I still adore it, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, I just, I wish they didn't rush it. I wish they didn't rush the production, gave them more, uh, gave them more time to kind of like iron it out and everything like that. Because yeah. I think that the concept of like the, the military academy could have worked. Yeah. Um, it just, Chuck, Chucky doesn't do enough in that setting. Yeah. If, if the Andy actor had, again, had more time to work on characterization, like, mm. Like that, that could have helped it quite a bit as well. Okay. Well, okay. Here, here's a fun thing. So, um, the early draft of the movie did involve multiple dolls. We do get a hint of that in the scene with, um, uh, the, the good guys company guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause you have the two dolls that are talking back and forth and then Chucky's there and everything like that. Um, but, you know, for a long time, Don Mancini has wanted to do, like, a ton of dolls. He just wants to fuck up the continuity and just just make everyone question everything. Yeah, like, he wants to gaslight us, like, oh, is this doll a uh, Chucky? Is that doll a Chucky? So, so the idea is that he wanted to do this for a long time. Didn't really happen until Cult of Chucky, like, 26 years later. And then J.K. Rowling ripped all of it off for Voldemort's Horcruxes. Horcruxes, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, there's actually kind of a fun parallel there, isn't there? <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, it's just it's interesting that, like, you know, and Don Mancini was thinking about this clear back in Child's Play 2. He was like, okay, maybe Child's Play 3 we can do it. 
didn't pan out. And it took 26 years, but it finally happened in Kolachucky, and that opened up a whole hell of a lot of opportunities, too. Yeah. Uh, especially with the TV show. So, um, now, as far as the military school, I kept thinking about, like, where had I, where I had seen it before. It um, looks like one of the sets for JAG. If any of you out there, your parents made you watch JAG... <laughs> I'm looking at the inside and like these these half wooden walls with like the cubicle windows. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen this shit before. Well, I did check on that and it was not a location where they shot Jack. Oh man. Right. So um the military school was Kemper Military School in Boonville, Missouri. Which that is a great name for a Missouri town, Boonville. I'm pretty sure I've got family out there somewhere. Uh, you know me too. Me too. Ew. Yeah. Um, so Boonville, Missouri. Uh, the location has been used for a couple other films, generally not well remembered ones. A lot of them, like the the academy, was very hesitant to like let people shoot there, depending on how the military is portrayed. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. You know, at least like you know, for the most part, the military doesn't seem all that crazy in 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 Child's Play three. Like, well, that and, and wouldn't this be like when the Gulf War is going on? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, not a whole lot of well-remembered movies, but one weird divergence point in film history here. Um, it was being considered for National Lampoon's Animal House. <laughs> wow. Did not happen, but it was one of the places they were thinking about shooting Animal House. Holy shit. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those places, like, I kept confusing it for, um, like, the, the internal shots I kept confusing for, like, locations from the, the movie Evil Speak. The oh, one, okay. Yeah, the one where Clint Howard summons Satan through a computer. Yes! <laughs> uh, brilliant movie, by the way. But, um, no, because, like, the inside of that military academy has this kind of generic look to it. It you does. Know? It's, you know, military design, so. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so it was not the one from Evil Speak. That was actually California. Also in California, however, is where the rest of the film was shot. Um, a lot of locations shooting was at that military school, but also at the Universal Backlot in Los Angeles. And then the carnival scenes were shot in Valencia, California. Those, that, that carnival, I love that carnival. Yeah, I, I question the logistics of the carnival, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, the movie was also the first in the series to use computer controls to operate the Chucky puppet. Ooh. specifically with the lip syncing, which is one of the hardest parts of like doing this sort of stuff with puppets and animatronics. Oh, totally. Yeah. So the effect, uh, the effects artists who handled Chucky in this film were N Brock Winkless, the fourth who has a fascinating name and Van Snowden. Now Winkless had worked as a puppeteer on the franchise from the start and up through Bride of Chucky. So he, he did the first four films of the franchise. Nice. Van Snowden would work on Child's Play 2 and 3. However, he might be best known as the primary puppeteer for H.R. Puffin Stuff. Holy shit. Yes, he was even the H.R. Puffin Stuff in that episode of My Name is Earl. Oh, wow. He, he was the primary actor in the Puffin Stuff suit. Yeah. Which is like another weird childhood thing because like I have... I, I didn't grow up with Puff and stuff like while it was airing, but mm -hmm. I caught a lot of the reruns as a little kid because I'd stay up late and watch Nick at Night. My mom always told me about H.R. Puff and stuff, and that was like her favorite show. Yeah. And so. like she did not understand the drug reference. <laughs> it's like, like, I loved it. Like I was eight and I knew it was a drug thing. Yeah, well, you're kind of demented. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But yeah, so that's another one of those weird. So we've got. Sesame Street, we've got the Muppets, we've got H.R. Puff and stuff, we've got uh, An American Tale, we've got Curious George. 
so all of these childhood things and like just i i love it because there's there's this demented aspect to all of their history and just <laughs> they they all have the the base knowledge for it and they're like okay let's make something really fucked up yeah and i i could just see these like veteran puppeteers like oh man we're gonna make a child uh, we're, we're gonna make a child's puppet like stab somebody that had to be really refreshing because, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in your job when you work with kids, I can only imagine just you probably just want to blow your brains out at some <laughs> point just because it's too much of too much. I don't know. Kid stuff. Hey, I dropped <laughs> the name of the podcast. There you go. <laughs> All right. So that's kind of the background of the production, the actors, everything like that. So, like, you know, we, we have a pretty good base of the film. We, we watched it today uh, before we recorded so, like, Holly, what's your overall impression of the movie? Where would you rank it in the franchise? You know, why? Um, my overall impression of the movie, um, I don't like authority. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a really big issue with just the whole military academy aspect. I get from a logistical standpoint of making the movie, it was a good choice, probably cost effective, probably just easier throughout. But... I just the way that they treat the children, I'm not okay with. Um, <laughs> you were very vocal about that. I was, yeah. I like, don't. Every time we watch this fucking movie, yeah, it's like, I'm like, oh fuck, it's the one with the military school. God damn it! <laughs> mm-hmm, like, yeah, when I put it on, you're like, oh, it's this one. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like color wise, it's very bland. So it's just, yeah, it, you know, everything's all gray, and I don't know. I just I don't like the bully. He's an asshole, which I get is the point of his character. Mm-hmm. Um, Ranking-wise, within the franchise, it doesn't really stand out. And I, you know, I don't mean to, you know, bash the the director, the writers, the creators, the actors, anything like that. It's just everything else seems so much more dynamic mm-hmm. in comparison to this one. It, it just... You know, the director's saying that, like, it, it's kind of silly, but it's also, like, it's not wacky enough for a yeah, Chucky movie. Yeah, that's fair, because the next one's Bride of Chucky, and that one is just so fucking out there. And that's the one that kind of defines the franchise as a whole at this point, I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, like, now, as a horror film in general, because you're, you're, you're building your experience with horror films and everything like that, how do you feel about it? It's... It kind of reminds... Okay, this is going to sound weird. This kind of reminds me of, like, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, I mean, definitely, for sure. Yeah. Um, they even have the uh, the reference, you know, the, this is the rifle, this is uh, this is my gun. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the sense that um, it's, it's different in the, like, first and second act and how it builds up to that, that third act um, and, um, you know, the chaos that ensues there. Mm-hmm. But it's... it's it's kind of psychologically traumatizing in the sense of like, Andy's been through so much. Why the fuck is he here? Right. Like who they, they mentioned, you know, in the, in the beginning, um, there were settlements. Um, so obviously there were lawsuits and Andy's mom ended up in the, uh, mental hospital that is mentioned later in the film. So he's obviously a ward of the state. 
who the fuck was his caregiver that said, yeah, let's put him in military school. That's mm-hmm. going to be great for his fucking development and mental health. Right. And it's just one of those things where like when uh, De Silva and her friend are going through the, the filing cabinet to dig up Andy's information, which they're just able to find in the filing cabinet, no lock and key. Right. They pull up a psychiatric report. Yeah. And it's like, should this have been like factored into him being there? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's... It's not a place where, you know, obviously mental health is leaps and bounds beyond what 1990 had to offer. Mm-hmm. But just it plays into the whole like the the whole bad kid economy of like sending your kids off to camp to set them straight. Um, it, you know, it's just how adults were thinking at the time. Yeah, um, and it's, it it just pisses me off every time I watch this movie. So I'm like, <laughs> they should not be treating those children that way, right? Um, we we know better now, mostly I think, but um, fuck, yeah. I hope so, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, like so, I don't find the movie particularly scary. Yeah, then again, well, then again, I'm weird with horror. You you, you, you know are. that that like like yeah. it takes a lot to scare me, and usually like it's just like a physical thing where someone like has to like touch me or something without me looking to like scare me. Yeah. That is unless I'm like really focused on something and then you come around the corner to ask me something. I'll just stand there silently and he'll look up and jump. It's yeah. great. Yeah. So like a horror movie doesn't bother me. Like I can watch people like get their guts ripped out all day, but um, yeah. So, you know, it's not super scary. Like it's, it's definitely not my favorite of the franchise, but I still, I still like it. I still yeah. enjoy it. It it definitely helps you understand like Andy's um, or at least, you know, moving forward to when he comes back in the series, you understand like Andy's frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't given the proper tools to heal. Um, obviously, you know, because his perpetrator is still at large and not come to justice. But just the fact that like adults haven't believed him. He's been put through foster systems Um And, you know, God only knows, you know, what that can imply when it comes to essay and just like overall neglect. Um, And then he was put into like the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And then like he's just housed this paranoia for so long. So Well, that and the bullying. Yeah. Just like very obvious, like any of the adults who were in charge there could have noticed like, okay, well, there's some clear issues here with the, the the children bullying each other and they just yeah. kind of because again it's supposed to like you know i put away childish things you know that yeah. sort of thing it's they they're like oh it'll just toughen you up no it's detrimental to your character yep so i uh go ahead and guess the metacritic score for this movie oh god uh it's out of 100 out of 100 okay <laughs> i was gonna say like 5.3 um <laughs> It's probably at 64.8%. Oh, you are very off. (laughs) It is 27 based on 13 critical reviews. So they have 13 reviews on the Metacritic. But yeah, it's based at 20. uh, It's 27. Well, I mean, the the pool isn't that large there to to pull from. Okay. Now guess the user score. I, okay. Uh, On a scale of 1 to 10. 3. It's an 8.2. 8.2 it's just it's really interesting like so like yeah i mean uh child's play fans chucky fans like they enjoy the movie yeah you know it's it's not their favorite but like there's something about it again it's a lot of like uh you know we just want to hear brad dorif like cackle as he like tries to kill people yeah fair enough um so yeah it's like you know obviously not a critical darling but the fans you know i i think that's a pretty fair assessment of it is that metacritic score 
Now, let's get to the real question. What's the best kill in the movie? Botnik. <laughs> the fucking barber. Good God. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty fun one. Um, can, can we just talk for a moment about, like, the weird thing going on with the hair in the movie? Ew. Okay, right? Y'all. Okay. <laughs> in the barber scene, if you're not necessarily paying attention, it can just go right by you. But he's got locks of hair from every kid that he's well it seems like every kid that he's given a haircut to on their first go around with their photos as well with their photos these are minors Mm -hmm. and this is like what if bill joe treve just took a wrong turn somewhere (laughs) y'all it's it's bad. The The other thing is, like, he doesn't seem to understand how to do haircuts. Cause, he doesn't. Like, he'll trim someone to say, you're bald now. Yeah. And then, like, the flat top that he gives Andy. It's like, terrible. Isn't, it isn't flat at all. It's not It's not a buzz cut. It's not a flat top. It is. It, it comes out like Johnny Bravo's hair a little bit. It's bad. Like, I, I think, I think uh, like, the character is fascinating. But, yeah, it's just like, number one, he doesn't really know how to give a haircut. No. And then just, yeah, the locks of hair is just such a weird it's, it's detail. Very, it's very serial killer-y. But, it's, it, but it's also one of those things where it's like in the franchise, like, you know, like Chucky's supposed to be the, the, the big bad killer, but it's like he ends up killing people who are like, well, you know, that's kind of good that he took that guy out. Yeah. Uh, um, if that guy seemed like he was going to escalate things with somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, especially with some of like the... Um, nervousness of the kids around him and that sort of thing. Like yeah. when he comes through the when he comes through the mess hall and he starts like checking to see who needs a haircut, he'll literally grab a kid by their hair it's, and yank their head back right? while they're eating. It's it's assault, eh? But it's also like it it seems like the first steps in grooming, where it's like you know, a Catholic priest picks out a certain altar boy and be like, oh, oh you Jesus. need to, you need to come to my office later. You know, um, there there is kind of I. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there, he's a there, pedo. There, there is a little bit of like a, a sexual angle to it. I feel like I, I can't like really pick out why, but you just kind of. I think it's the way that the actor plays it because mm. he, as soon as you had you had said while we were watching it that you know that was the dad in Hellraiser, I couldn't not see it without that like that that gravelly, like, horny voice that mm. he has throughout Hellraiser, you know? Mm. Um, even even talking to the daughter character, he's just, like, horned up all the time. Well, that that's after he gets taken over by... Um, no, no, totally. But, even, yeah. well, like, even before that, it's just... There's, like, this creepy old man quality to it. Mm. Um, okay. That, I don't know, maybe because I'm a chick, I can pick up on that stuff. Um, okay, yeah. But so- he's got this, like... He's got this underlying tone that he's gonna... He's going to fuck the kids. I mean, uh, I, it feels like it, it, it really does. Like, I, I don't know. I, I can't, again, I can't like put my finger on why I get that kind of vibe from the character. And I, I think it's probably the locks of hair and the, yeah. the photos of the kids. I think yeah. that's it. It It's one thing to like have the locks of hair and like have the names up and have it be an intimidation tactic for the kids who come in. But to have the photos as well, that's like, it's an invasion of privacy. And it's also like, this is my book of victims. Well, and then you also (laughs) have the fact that he's kind of in a basement. Yeah. And then he has that really garish uh, 
pinup thing on the wall where it's like, you know, it's uh, it's the commando woman in the 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 camo makeup and everything like that. And it's just like, yeah, this, this guy seems like he would try to, like, give a kid a beer and then touch them. Yes. That, that's, that's the vibe that I get. That's definitely the vibe. So, um, yeah, so Botnik's death, pretty well deserved. Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, I question why the straight razor was attached to the chair and with open. A, yeah, yeah, because he literally has the straight razor hanging from the chair itself. It's not in with, like, a thing of barbicide or anything like that. Which tells me he hasn't, like, sanitized that straight razor. I, I think also the scissors he used to cut uh, what's-his-name's hair, he then uses it to trim his nose hair or his mustache hair. That's right. So he's, like, super into grooming as well, which is kind of funny because, like, if he's a self-groomer, you would think that he would know how to do some shit on other people, but... Mm -hmm. Obviously, he hasn't looked at a basic haircut guide. Yeah, you know, the, 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 um, Botnik's death was fun. Like, I do, I don't understand why the razor blade was just hanging from the chair. Though that just it's seems just convenience. dangerous. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Um, now, as far as my favorite death, um, I think it was the garbage truck. <laughs> now that that one has always fascinated me. Like, I always find it to be very like gruesome and messed up because like the guy gets ground up inside the garbage truck right. his, his arm gets severed and everything by the the thing closing but i want to talk about something that's always bothered me yes the garbage truck has a spiked drum of death inside it <laughs> now i had to I, I i never really thought that like garbage trucks had like spinning drums in them yeah but i had to look this up and they do not <laughs> literally uh, the inside of a garbage truck it has a pneumatic press to compress the garbage, and that's it. So what sort of fucking garbage truck is this? Did they have to build one? Like, they probably had to, like, grab an engineer and, like... Like, maybe it's an old form of garbage truck, but that just does not make does sense Does anyone, to me. any of the listeners work in sanitation and know, <laughs> like what's up with this because this garbage truck is a death trap right and it's just this this obnoxiously large spiked drum and these these spikes are big too it's like yeah. a it's visually fascinating but like it makes no sense i have not seen uh i i spent like an hour looking for examples of garbage trucks that have spiked drums in them could not find them so if someone does have an answer i would be fascinated um now, there are, of course, some great uh, moments in the film regarding deaths and everything like that. So, like, the ammo swap death with uh, Shelton is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that was great. Um, that was it, very well deserved. It's also one of those things where I like when Chucky's able to kind of, like, set up something. Yeah. Um, that, those are always really fun when he's, he's got that little setup. So he takes all the, the paintball ammo, replaces it with actual bullets, and then just, yeah, it's great. Which is so weird because... Um, uh, if anyone has played paintball, um, y'all know that those guns aren't set up for any kind of actual live ammunition. So, like, the realistically, <laughs> that could not have happened. Yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about paintball because it looks like it was just like a modified bullet with a little capsule of paint at the end. Okay. I don't know how that works. Um, but, like, they didn't check their ammo before they set out right? for the engagement. I just... There's a lawsuit with Rust about this right now, guys. Come on. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's one of those things where it's, like, one of the more ridiculous elements of the film that, like, again, the spectacle of it's really fun, the chaos of it, but, like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Um, 
then again, like just Chucky fucking with people is great. Like is uh like when he kills Sullivan at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. just Chucky like gaslighting him and everything like that. Oh, so that good. was great, and yeah. so well deserved because <laughs> just the guy's corrupt, obviously, and he just it's just there's Chucky kills, but he also like he takes out some necessary evils, <laughs> which I appreciate. Yeah, because like when they do the the business meeting at the Play Pals um, or uh, um, company, you know they they they're very dismissive of Andy and like Andy's trauma yeah. and everything like that. You know, uh, everybody's gonna forget Andy Barkley and everything like that. So it's it was fun to see Sullivan just kind of get his shit clocked by Chucky. Yep. <laughs> um. So one of the things I love about this franchise, and we get a bunch of it in here, is Chucky's little legs kicking. <laughs> Yes, so <laughs> oh, good. Like every time I get a, a shot of Chucky like dangling from something, and his little legs just kicking frantically, it just it warms the deep. He loses dark his part shit, y'all. It's yeah, great. Yeah, I like I, I laugh like an idiot. Um, but you know the other thing is like um, I love it when like Chucky like in doll form, where when he's like pretending to be just a regular doll, like how how clumsy people are with him. Yeah. Like every time, like someone like drops him, or when uh, Tyler is carrying the package that Chucky is in, yes, <laughs> yeah, he drops it down the stairs, and I'm just envisioning like Chucky just like you just gotta Whoa. hold it, hold a pose, don't curse, <laughs> don't say anything. It, it's just it's one of my favorite little funny gags in the in the franchise, and I, it, I thought this movie was particularly good with that sort of shit. Yeah, like at one point the colonel like just dunks Chucky head first into a. Uh, he does it into a dumpster and then a trash can. Yes. And it's just, I just, I love the idea of like Brad Dorf maybe like muttering under his breath, like something like, fuck this guy or mm -hmm. something. And it's, it's great because with the visual, it's when they show the doll, it's literally just the legs. So <laughs> there's no, there's no kinetic energy moving throughout the body, obviously, because it's plastic, but you don't even see it in the arms or the head um, so when they, they'll do like a back shot of the full doll and then they'll do a front shot of like Chucky's face reacting to like, mm -hmm. if he's having to hang on to some bars or some shit, but there's no, like, there's no like flow through movement. So it's very comical. Yeah. Just, just the way it's just, it's just the legs moving. <laughs> like I, I could watch like a 10 hour super cut of Chucky's little legs dangling. It's so good. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that specifically, uh, that, that sequence, which um, is the fun house at the carnival. So, so good. So, so number one, um, what the hell is this carnival? Is it a really cheap amusement park or is it a moving carnival? I think it's I think it's a cheap amusement park because it seems so it's a it's too elaborate for like a traveling carnival. Right, especially that fun house that's actually like an indoor roller coaster. Right. That actually gets some decent height. I was right? looking at that and I'm like, you know, that that has gotta be a bitch to move. It reminded me of Wonder War from Bob's Burgers. A little bit, yeah, yeah, like the uh, the roller coaster in the uh, the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, part of the, the the big climax of the film is Andy chasing down, uh, you know, Chucky, who's taking Tyler hostage, trying to find a place to do the soul ritual, and they go into this fun house. I forget the. I think it's called the Devil's Den. Um, and oh my god, I would love to spend the night in that fun house. It's so neat. You're literally in 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 the flames of hell. 
It's so much fun. And the great thing about it is it looks like it was designed to maim a child. It does. Like, in the best way a carnival ride can do that, it is, like, incredibly unsafe when you oh, look yeah. at it. Yeah. It also had a bit of, um, I know Casper with Christina Ritchie came out later, mm. but it's got a lot of, like, that vibe with the uh, the the chair that goes into the the secret room and does like the do, do we the both toothbrush. Ha- do we both have a fixation on like roller coaster vehicle sequences in films maybe because also like Raiders of the Lost Ark not Raiders of the Lost Ark uh Temple of Doom do you love the minecart scene yeah okay of course yeah I, do. I think we have there's just something about those scenes where they're in like a little minecart or something and I love and it it's like man I would love to ride that um but yeah like number one um the track seems super dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's going to fall apart if, like, one screw goes loose. Right. There is that giant fan. <laughs> yes. That, like, consumes, like, Chucky, like, absolutely obliterates him. It doesn't even have, like, a safety net on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, a gen- it's like, a giant industrial fan meant to move, like, fake, like, fabric flames. But there's not enough fabric there to dictate the need for an industrial fan. Yeah, it's it's a little oversized. Right, which, you know, completely ridiculous. But I think my most favorite ridiculous part of that ride is the Grim Reaper with his scythe, because that <laughs> is very flimsy metal. Yes. But for some reason, it is able to, like, sluice off, like, several layers of Chucky's face. Right? And I'm just, like... And, and when you look at the ride, you see that, like, that... um scythe comes really close to the tracks i mean the 80s had a lot of really like lax safety measures i mean lawn darts were still around right right oh and speaking of darts yeah when chucky was going after uh sullivan he was using those darts to like yep yeah it's always fun to watch chucky just like enjoy his work he he, you know he, he does things with a smile um but yeah like the uh so so just uh there's something about that it's very unsettling because it's like, why? It's obviously a prop. Why is the prop sharp? Yeah, why like, is it able to take off someone's face like that? <laughs> so obviously the carnival is not, you know, the most safe. <laughs> right, but then again, what carnival is? That's true. <laughs> you go for the you go for the thrill. Right. Now, more ways than one. Now, I, I guess that comes up, uh, brings up a good question, because we're, we're moving into season two of the TV show. Um, the TV show, fantastic so far. I adore it. Not a whole lot of references to Child's Play 3. So do you think they're going to kind of keep that up, or are you hoping to see, like, De Silva and Tyler remake an appearance? It would be really neat. Um, I I appreciate that they're bringing back the original actors in some capacity just because you know it's so common just to recast a character but to show respect to the actor um in a way that it you know you just don't you don't see a lot of that um and it's not it's not just fan service but it's like hey uh not a lot of child stars you know they uh there's a reputation for them you know, kind of going up in flames mm-hmm. in general. So it's nice that they would do something like that and bring back the original actors. Um, with that said, I, I mean, they're going to be in a Catholic school. So they're in a setup that is similar to a military style school in the sense of like 
rules, rigorousness, curfews. They're trapped in a certain area. I think we're going to see... I think we're going to see some parallels. Um, yeah. I, you know, I hope we do at least. Um, you know, I hope that the, you know, production has realized like, oh, we could uh, do a little bit of a redemption for Child's Play 3 here. Yeah, thematically, it seems like it's kind of uh, another take at that. Yeah. Um, you know, and also, like, there are a lot of people who are out there who have survived, like, Charles Lee Ray and, like, and to an extent Tiffany, and it's like, I, I, I'm curious about them. Like, the fact that, like, uh, um, Kyle came back. Was, right. Like, I was overjoyed by that. Yeah. Um, that was you, rad. You know, so, like, t- uh, like Chucky has really, like, messed with people, and I would I would love to see, like, how is De Silva after this experience you know yeah. how is tyler because tyler is literally in the same position andy was yeah you know how did he develop um you know and then of course we could also talk about like jesse and james uh jesse and james and bride of uh chucky who will which we'll talk about uh no was it no it wasn't bride it was c it was yeah it was c yeah anyway um so yeah like it's just um it, it just it feels like it would be really interesting to see these other characters who have been like for lack of a better term, touched by Chucky. Yeah, because nobody nobody believed Andy. Mm-hmm. And and his mom is in an institution because of it. Um and you know it's it's a great opportunity for there to be like a survivors group or, you know, their own little version of AA. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that we might get some more child's play three references because like it is kind of like the black sheep of the franchise in the sense that like the people who made it weren't super feeling it but also like it's not that bad it's not it it gets a lot of undeserved hate i think but you know that that's kind of where we stand i think with child's play three so the next one we're going to be moving into is of course uh bride of chucky which like it redefines the franchise ultimately probably for the better yeah um, it introduces a, an incredible character, incredible actress. Yes. Um, takes on a much more comedic tone. Absolute smoke show. Mm-hmm. And it gets a whole lot gayer. It really does. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, it, it, it gets a lot more queer, which is a lot of fun. You know, that's one of my favorite things about the franchise as it stands now is it's very, like, it just it's fun. Yeah. So um, with that being said, I think we can go ahead and wrap up here, Holly. Any other final thoughts on Child's Play 3? Don't treat your kids like shit and send them to military school, because holy fuck. Right. Um, Yeah, so uh, if you are listening to us, thank you. Uh, We're aiming to probably get another episode episode out next week, which will be for uh, Bride of Chucky. And then after that, I think we slide immediately into... um, My DMs. (laughs) Yeah. No, we slide immediately into um, the Chucky TV series season two. So with that being said, again, thank you for listening. It's good to be back. Um, Say goodbye, Holly. Goodbye, Holly. There we go. You have been listening to Kids' Stuff, a Chucky podcast, a Haunted MTL original podcast. Our theme is Pop Goes the Weasel by Kevin McLeod. Remixed by Def Beck. You can find Def Beck at Deft underscore Beck on Twitter. You can find more of Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.filmmusic.io. 
If you want to find out more about me, the podcaster, you can just go to hpkomics.com, hpcomics.com, or you can find me on the socials at hpkomic. For more great horror content, do not forget to visit hauntedmtl.com.